Here we go. And now it's time for another episode of Monkeys in Robot Suits. And Robots in Monkey Suits. With Jeffrey J. Byron. And Noah S. Smith. And today is a very special day because we have a guest with us. We have our friend Mario Gibney. Mario, all the way from a foreign land of Canada. Very exotic, this, isn't it? This is this is going to be kind of fun. You're the first guest we've had on this show. And, oh, I am uh, the first guest, am I? You are. So I am honored. Kind of cool. I'm we're try, trying something new, and I have no idea what we're going to talk about. We might talk about. Uh, we might talk about. Um, uh, uh, we might talk about psychedelic drugs. We might talk about cryptocurrencies or bitcoins or whatever you call them. We might talk about uh, dating advice. That's another thing. Maybe we give on the show. Uh, well, yeah. I, know, I know two of those things pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we. So the one thing about this show is that Noah and I try to avoid talking about anything related to economics or politics, or that gets too that gets a little bit too much into that world. We just try to keep it light and fun. But we break the rule quite a bit, it seems, because we do t- kind of talk about politics. I think we just don't want to get into an entire discussion of, like, what the fuck Trump's going to do in office and, and uh, you know, get too into the weeds of, with uh, market details. But, yeah, talk about anything. Right, and we, we should probably avoid, like, you know, hawking uh, altcoins or, you know... Oh yes, I, not, there, not not much of a risk of that from my end. I, uh, <laughs> I'm not not really into the altcoins. So yeah, um, Mario is Mario. Are you a self-proclaimed Bitcoin maximalist? You call I, I, that? I actually hate that term. Um, I <laughs> but yeah, I um I definitely am. Uh, I have a lot in common with them. I um. I, I think it's kind of a silly turn, to be honest, because I'm not like fundamentally opposed to the idea of there being other valid cryptocurrencies. But yeah, I mean, I, I work in the Bitcoin industry. I know Bitcoin well. And from what I can tell, like 99% of what goes on in the broader blockchain cryptocurrency industry is kind of nonsense. But I think there's a tremendous amount of value in Bitcoin. And yeah, that usually earns me the title of talks or like or the Bitcoin maximalist. But I, I try not to be as aggressive about it as other people. <laughs> Wait, so you're uh, you're not an Ethereum fan? Not an Ethereum fan. I think huh. Ethereum is Wait. extremely overhyped. Yeah. Huh. We might have to get into this a bit, but let, let me let me start by saying that the the kind of the fun thing about having having Mario on this show is Mario is the host of his own podcast called Unhashed Podcast, oh, and cool. and uh, and it's also a very sort of casual chat style podcast like this one and like my other podcast which is uh keyword crypto which we've never we've never talked about on this show but i have a i have a i host a podcast that's all about cryptocurrency and kind of the bigger philosophies surrounding it and and mario is somebody that i have sort of publicly disagreed with on on twitter social media but when we do get together on the air, we have a great time and we're friends. So we kind of have different, we have different views on this. And I, I didn't want to get too much into like a heated debate over like whether Ethereum is good or bad or what, whether Bitcoin is the one coin to rule them all. But since Noah is relatively new, Noah, you're, you're somebody who has written about Bitcoin and crypto before. So you have an interest That's in right. it. And you want to hear something really weird? Yeah. 
Um, so the reason I have my blue check on Twitter is because of Bitcoin. Isn't that let's weird? Hear the, let's hear the story. So the story is that I never wanted to get a blue check. And then Bloomberg demanded that it finally just wrote to me and said, like, go get a blue check. But by then, Twitter was not handing out blue checks to people except through like there were some topics, like some expert, like topics that they hadn't verified enough people about. So they were trying to like, before they closed off blue checks forever, they wanted to, or mostly, they wanted to like admit a bunch of experts on like Bitcoin, which hadn't really existed when they, that as a big topic of discussion, when they closed off uh, a verification. And so Bloomberg was like, hmm, how can we get Noah verified? So Bloomberg, uh, you know, submitted me on a list of Bitcoin experts to Twitter to get me the blue check. And I didn't even know they were doing this. They told me about it later. And then one day a blue check appeared next to my name. Whoa. And that is how it happened. I can see why they would want uh, blue checks for people in the Bitcoin cryptocurrency industry, though, because it is probably the most scam rife space ever. It's like it's it's that's one of the worst side effects is that it's it's so easy for people to scam people out of their money and just disappear with it. And it's just constant. Right. It's also a space where people really kind of um, there's a lot of anonymity and privacy that people naturally want. But because of that, there's also kind of a bunch of scamminess, too. So it's like, yeah, I can I can see why if, yeah, I can I can see why the blue checks would be important in that case. Yeah. Anyway, so do you, so do you consider yourself a Bitcoin expert, Noah? No, not at all. <laughs> um, I've never written I've never written in Bloomberg about Bitcoin. There are Bitcoin experts out there, and I am not one. Yeah. Um, hey, know, one, you know, one second, guys. Before we go on, I just wanted to mention that Noah, you're you're. Um, your voice sounds a little bit muted, so maybe get a little bit closer to the mic just to make sure. How's um, now? How about now? How, that's, how's that now? sounds really good. Now that sounds good. And then you know uh, what? I'm usually I'm usually laying down when we record, and so let me do that. How, how about yeah. now? Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. And then Mario, right. your voice sounded a little bit muted too. I'm usually around a few inches from the bottom of the phone. Um, that usually works uh, pretty I'm, well. well I'm, I'm wearing the headphones. Um, oh, you wearing- apologize. Yeah, and but uh, I, I I also if you guys hear some background noise, it's the heating. In my house, it just it don't worry about it. it. should stop in a second. All right. It'll sound it'll sound <laughs> great in the end. Promise. Cool. Um, anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. We're talking about. Uh, oh, so Mario says he's never written about Bitcoin in Bloomberg. I, I've read your pieces, uh, Noah, about Bitcoin, and I, I actually emailed you about one of them. But uh, I, I expect you receive a high volume of uh, of responses to stuff you've written. I, I definitely do. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I yeah, definitely I, do. I remember reading your, your one about uh, the key to Bitcoin's future inflation, and I, I had I had opinions on that, <laughs> but I wanted to share. Uh, <laughs> that we, uh, um, my basic, yeah. I, I really just have one one solid viewpoint about Bitcoin or about crypto, which I can tell you, uh, you've, <laughs> you've read it before, but the the listeners might not know, which is. Um, which is that basically a store of value and a medium of exchange, a long-term store of value and a medium of exchange pretty much can't be the same thing in a well-functioning market. So in a well-functioning market, you have this risk-reward trade-off where you have some things that are extremely volatile and will grow in value over time, but in the short term don't hold their value enough to be used for you know, to buy pizza or whatever. And then you also, you have other things that you can use to buy pizza, but that give you a crappy long-term return, uh, like, you know, 
uh, U.S. Treasury bonds or or money. I guess you can't use Treasury bonds to buy pizza. You probably should be able to at this point. Um, but then basically there's this sort of risk or trade-off in a well-functioning financial market. And so the idea is you can be the currency or you can be this investment asset, but you can't really be both. What if, what if you had like an asset that appreciated at like, I don't know, 5% per year and like the, the week-to-week, month-to-month volatility was extremely low? Would, do, you, do you see that as uh, fundamentally opposed to being used as a currency? I mean, you'd have to – the, the thing is that you'd have to get the, the, um, the volatility extremely, extremely low. And right. the thing is, you know, so, so we have these things that are like the U.S. dollar or other fiat currencies like that that have extremely low volatility. Like, you know, the, the inflation isn't going to cycle from like 10% to like negative 5% in like a day – or something like that. That's just not heard of in US dollar. And so US dollar is this incredibly stable asset that you can use to make payments. And yeah, I mean, it depreciates over time because we have this 2% inflation target. It has this negative 2%, um, you know, sort of uh, uh, nominal return, or, or I mean, real return. But then, um, but then, you know, that, that that's not a big deal for people. They get their paycheck. You know, it stays in their it stays in their checking account for not very much time. People don't hold much cash in their checking accounts. And then they, uh, they either use it to buy stuff that they need for the month or they, they stash it in their brokerage account or some higher paying asset. I mean, hopefully, um, and then, uh, or, or pay off debt, which is also, uh, actually investing in a high paying asset. And so that's, um, that's a reasonably well-functioning market. And the question is, can you get something, can you get another currency that has equally low volatility for a higher return to supplant the dollar? Well, maybe um, you have, uh, that's what foreign currencies are supposed to do. So like, you know, if you have the euro and the euro, uh, you know, has a, has a lower inflation target, but is just as, as credible, then you have this sort of process where every, all the banks, all the investors that control all the boring giant flows of bond money, they just then pile into the euro uh, until they drive that return down. And, uh, and that's, that's, um, the theory of, uh, of interest rate parity. And, uh, and so you can't have that. And so you, uh, the, the real answer is, is probably not is, is probably you can't as long as, as long as the U S government is able to maintain this incredibly stable thing that you can use to just make these convenient purchases, it's not going to get supplanted by anything else unless there's something either, you know, more convenient and equally stable or more stable and equally convenient. And, um, and so I think that basically fiat currency has a crappy long-term return, but that's okay because people shouldn't really be saving in cash under the mattress. And, um, that's not how people should save their money. And so, uh, yeah, so, so, so a lot of, I think some, some Bitcoiners online think that they, they kind of equate the idea of a long-term store of value with the idea of a good medium of exchange. They think that if something's going to appreciate uh, you know, a lot over time, I'm going to want to use it as money. And I guess my point is that that's exactly wrong because you don't want to pay for pizza with something that's going to go up in price. That guy who bought a pizza with Bitcoin at the very beginning of Bitcoin and now would have like a hundred million dollars, except instead he had a pizza. Like that's mm-hmm. why you don't use currency as a long-term store of value. There's this inherent trade-off there. Um, for those, for those listening, that was, uh, the guy's name is Laszlo. He spent $10,000 on two pizzas. Two Papa John's pizzas back in, uh, I think it was 2010. It, it, would that, that amount of Bitcoin would only be worth 10000 now? 
No, no, no. He spent like 10,000 bitcoins. 10, it would be, worth, it would be worth approximately 300 million today, I believe. 300 million. Right. Wow. So he bought a $300 million pizza. Um, and that's what? why you don't want to buy a $300 million pizza. That I, I have not tasted a pizza that's <laughs> that good. But the, I mean, the thing is, like, he could have, he could have, like, you know, bought the Bitcoin back with $25, I think. Um, um, but yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, sure, sure, sure. That, that, yeah, that, that, that doesn't speak against your point. I, I take what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so it's, it's basically like people want to hoard stuff. And, you know, it's, it's similar. It's not quite the same, but it's similar to this thing called Gresham's Law when people used to hoard currency because of the, the um, like, silver content of the coins. Oh, correct me if I'm wrong, though. I mean, I believe Gresham's Law applies specifically in cases where a government mandates that two kind of currencies have to be accepted at equal value. Right. One that, of them actually, so I, I don't think that applies here, does it? It's not exactly here, does it? No, I mean, it's not exactly the same. It's not exactly the same. But what it is, is it's sort of analogous because although here it's not, it's not government mandated, but if you have the opportunity to buy a pizza with crappy worthless dollars, buy a delicious yummy pizza with crappy worthless fiat currency, or buy a delicious yummy pizza with Bitcoin that's going to make you bazillionaire, which are you going to use to buy the pizza? Well, nobody, wants to, nobody wants to give away good stuff for, for pizza. Well, I, I spend my Bitcoin directly when I can, actually, because I, I get part of my salary in Bitcoin. So, I, and I, like, I mean, sure, I, I guess I'm a bit of a. You have to. Like, if you get your salary in Bitcoin, you have to spend it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I mean, for for a lot of us, what we are aiming to do is get to a point where people actually like can get paid in Bitcoin. And for me, paying for stuff in in Canadian dollars is, I see that as okay. Now I got to you know convert my Bitcoin into dollars and then spend it. So. That seems just like an extra step once you can actually start getting paid um, in uh, in the currency. So I, I think like there is definitely is a bootstrapping effect where you need to get like if you're getting paid in dollars, sure, you're going to want to spend that directly. Um, but uh, I mean, if people actually start using it directly and paying each other through things, I, I, I don't that doesn't seem like an insurmountable um, obstacle. It just like, there needs to be some sort of bootstrapping effect there. And and the other thing is like we're I, I think the, if the, the two main the thing is, by getting paid in Bitcoin, I'm sure you get paid enough that you don't worry about it too much. But, uh, you know, a normal person, they get paid in Bitcoin. They don't want the, they don't, you know, I mean, the, the money has to sit in your account for like, you know. Right, well, yeah, that's, well, that's, where the, that's where the volatility comes in, right. That's where the volatility comes in. Yeah, that's but volatility like. Volatility makes a crappy currency. Well, let's say, let's say that if we get to a point, like, I mean, a lot of us are expecting and hoping that, you know, um, if uh, Bitcoin can expand to be on global currency in the next decade or two, as it gets larger and larger, the volatility will level out. If it doesn't, I completely agree with you. It, it won't be usable as a day-to-day currency. But, um, like, what do you think of the, the idea that um, the reason it is so volatile is largely an artifact of it being a relatively small market and it's still just growing? Uh, maybe so. So I think that that's the real case here is that at the beginning, Bitcoin will be like an investment asset, and then it'll calm down and become a currency, and there'll be this flip, right? Where people will, will start using Bitcoin to like buy things and stop investing in Bitcoin because they think it's going to appreciate. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess people, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know anyone in the industry who expects the kind of wild gains of the last 10 years to continue indefinitely. Like, I mean, that's obviously unsustainable. Um, yeah, I guess the other thing I would want to ask you is that, you, you like, what what is the... Um, what is the? Uh, uh, you made the argument in your article that um, that the you know Bitcoin could solve this problem by eventually um, adding perpetual inflation, like lifting the supply cap. Um, I right. It, it's not clear to me why like going from like 
0% inflation to 2% inflation would have a really meaningful effect on volatility. That seems like a small difference. But isn't Bitcoin deflationary, though? I mean, as people buy more and more stuff with Bitcoin and the number of Bitcoins hit, hits the cap, Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I was thinking monetary inflation. I guess you're talking like purchasing power or what's oh, yeah, the, no, you always, what's the uh, term yeah, that, for that's, it? That, that is what inflation means. It means just prices. Like, in, in other words, if the... Sure. Yeah, if, I'm, I'm used to talking to the Austrians who love the monetary inflation definition. Oh, no, so, no, no, sure. Just, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, so I'm, what I'm saying is okay. that if Bitcoin has a, has a positive return because the number is capped and yet the demand keeps increasing, then, you know, if it's got this positive expected return... It's an investment asset, and that's gonna that in a well-functioning financial system that will make it volatile. What, what if the what if the expected return is um, small and steady enough? Um, do you, you you still see that as fundamentally opposed to being used as an everyday cryptocurrency or everyday I mean, currency? Maybe. So, the, in order to think that, so so you're familiar with the, like the efficient frontier of risk and reward, right? You've got this, uh, you've got right? this like efficient risk reward trade-off, so that like. You can take like a lot of risk for a lot of reward or a little risk for a little yeah. reward and you just sort of draw this line, right? And so the, the idea that we could supplant fiat currency it, with, with Bitcoin or, or that we could keep fiat currency but sort of force the Fed to permanently lower its inflation target to zero or whatever or, or have a deflation target is that idea is contingent on the idea that we currently do not have an efficient, well-functioning financial market. That right now the Fed's, you know, the, the Fed is having inflation is, is the Fed's inflation target is actually higher than the market would like, you know, will bear, and that, you know, that it's it's essentially government power that keeps people from being able to have a a different risk free asset. But in fact, I think that what you see is that there's really no. So no other country out there. So, so it could be that the countries are all in a cartel, right? And so Japan and Europe and all these other countries are, are collaborating with the Fed to all set their inflation targets the same, to the same thing and that the actual efficient inflation, inflation target is lower. That is possible. It's, it seems unlikely because it seems like a very large bank or consortium of banks or a very large company could come in and just make their own fiat currency with a lower inflation target and beat out the dollar and beat out the yen and beat out the euro and everyone would just use toyota bucks or chase bucks or god knows what because like you can issue those currencies i mean you can like nobody stops you from issuing a private currency that people can use to trade for things like that's not illegal i mean obviously because bitcoin does it so like you don't you don't need you don't need the blockchain or any sort of you know sort of um peer-to-peer payment verification system in order to have security, you just need an institution big enough that people have trust in it. And so you could have had people issuing these private currencies with these lower inflation targets that just completely supplant the dollar and they can collect tiny fees on, et cetera, et cetera, and it just never happened. And to me, that suggests that the 2% inflation target is really, you know, that, that's, that's at least pretty close to the efficient frontier of what the market will, will bear. Okay. I yeah, I mean, technical. That's a pretty technical. Yeah, I, I think I think I would have to read more about the efficient frontier thing. Um, I might ask you for some links afterwards um, to before I know what's yeah, okay. anyway, yeah. this that got pretty technical, and I it sure did. Listeners wanted to hear us talk about Bitcoin <laughs> economics <laughs> forever. I know that Mario had some specific questions he wanted to ask you. So. That was the main one. That was the main one. <laughs> there we um, go. So yeah. Oh, okay, <laughs> we got it. <laughs> yeah. 
Now let's uh, talk about music. Right. <laughs> now let's talk about uh, penguins or something. No, uh, I, I, I the, so we actually talked about a lot of this stuff on mm-hmm. on keyword crypto because you know we had some of the same questions. Like had this, I, I think I think those are actually really good things to bring up. It's like you know, yeah, the uh, Mario. Why? So I guess my question for you is, like, why don't you actually think that any other cryptocurrency could could accomplish that? Especially if we're looking at something that, like, say, uh, say uh, a, a new cryptocurrency that did have an inflation rate. I mean, there are altcoins that do that, right? Why? Why couldn't that be a thing? If there's no way that Bitcoin could be that, there's no way the 21 million is going to get lifted, right? So. Like Bitcoin will always be this thing that technically will go up in value. It'll never go down in value like the U.S. dollar, right? Well, that's that's not quite what my position is. Like I, I don't uh, like I said before. I don't think it's impossible anything that happens. It's a question of likelihood. Um, and I also and I have taken a lot of heat for this on Bitcoin Twitter, which is that I am one of the kind of few Bitcoin focused guys who's willing to say that, yeah, I think there's a possibility we might get some version of Bitcoin in the future that lifts the supply cap. I think it's unlikely. Um, there are some technical reasons that I think would probably be way too much for the show uh, uh, involving Bitcoin security and the, 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 the declining issuance of new coins that there are some conceivable scenarios, I think, where you might see Bitcoin splitting into um you might see it fork into, you know, the Bitcoin we have now and the Bitcoin with a lifted supply cap and like 1% year inflation and the, the forked coin might win out. I think that's possible, but I think it's unlikely. Um, and yeah, I, I think the, the network effects are pretty strong. Like a lot of these other cryptocurrencies claim to have solved certain problems or like, um, uh, mo- like the simple answer is that most of them just um, like the, their marketers lie about um, the technical merits of their coins, um, the majority of them. Um, and they, they suffer from the exact same scaling limitations that Bitcoin has. Like scaling is a big thing where a lot of these other altcoins claim that like they could handle so many more transactions. But then when you kind of look under the hood, you end up sacrificing certain properties that kind of give Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies value in the first place. Like, you know, you can make it much, much harder for um, uh, independent users to validate what's going on in the network and then allow more transactions. But then what happens is you will gradually see fewer and fewer people being able to um, validate what's going on in the network. And then you end up with some centralized kind of system that's run by, you know, a consortium of companies or one company. You know, this is kind of the argument against Bitcoin Cash, which split off a few years ago. I, I'm sure JJ knows about that. I don't know if you're paying attention uh, enough in 2017, Noah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I know uh, that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, part of it is just like there's – because – um, you know, it's kind of the wild west of um, of like fundraising and exchanging money. A lot of people have used as an opportunity to lie about um, certain you know merits. I think there are a lot of coins that actually have you know are uh, seem to be you know uh, genuinely aiming to you know try out different types of blockchains and stuff. And you know, we we argued about Nano on the show. I don't have any reason to suspect the guys behind Nano are deliberately duping people. Like they they seem to be quite honest in what they're aiming for, but. Um, it's it's think- just some, it's something that's interesting that I actually kind of wanted to uh, I, that Noah you might not be familiar with, but this there's this kind of there's this attitude in in the world of crypto where it's like okay yeah so the like the uh, altcoins or whatever that they are there's crypto is wild west it's full of scams 
And therefore, it's much easier to just ignore everything but Bitcoin. It's much easier to do that and just focus all your energy on this one than to listen to the, you know, maybe people building something new or different. And I feel like that's a little bit, that's a little bit weird. Like just because there are so many scams, you're, you're, you're not going to give your attention to any one of them that might actually have a solution. Right. Okay. So I was, I think I waffled a bit there. I, I, um, I wasn't trying to use that as a, as a general dismissal of all altcoins. That was just, that's one chunk and of them. Also, Mario, yeah? like know that I'm not, I'm not attacking you on this or anything like that. No, you're just bring yeah, yeah. This is I actually understand. a real phenomenon in the space yeah. that is probably oh, oh, yes. a little toxic. Oh yeah. No, yeah. A lot of people do that. And I, I don't, I'm not here to defend the other Bitcoiners' arguments. That's <laughs> not what I'm here to do. Um, but like, yeah, okay. But then also, like, there are, I think, projects with like very real validity. Like Monero is um, is a cryptocurrency that uh, gives extremely robust privacy guarantees that um, uh, Bitcoin doesn't offer. Uh, the problem with Monero is that it, it scales even worse than Bitcoin does. So I think it's it's um, it's you know how. Um, how widespread it can become is, is very, very limited. So I, I don't think it can grow much, but I think it's a legitimate project. It's interesting. Um, and I think there's also, there are network effects when it comes to money that are very, very um, dominant. Like um, the people don't want to have to deal with switching between currencies from one to the other. Um, of course so, not. Yeah. It sucks so I, in I real think, life. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that like a lot life. of... Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think a lot of um, a lot of the, the value that uh, altcoins uh, uh, claim to offer in addition to Bitcoin, a lot of it could be um, simply you can add that functionality to like a layer on top of Bitcoin or to like a side chain of Bitcoin um, rather than launching a new currency that you need to bootstrap from the start. And like that's that's like that's a lot of what our company works on is trying to add new functionality on top of it. Can you tell Noah what what your company is and what you do for Blockstream? Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, our, our company is called Blockstream. We, um, uh, our flagship product is a is called uh, Liquid, which is uh, one of the world's first production side chains. So when, um, like you know, Bitcoin was invented back in you know, 2008, 2009, it launches, and um, and then after a few years, people realized there, you know, you could launch different um, uh, quote unquote blockchains with different parameters, and they provide different um, uh, different types of uh, you know guarantees and properties, and then. Um, uh, a few years later, a lot of uh, their authors on a paper, most of whom were our co-founders, uh, invented a concept called sidechains, where you create a new blockchain, but rather than bootstrapping a new currency from the start, you figure out a way to kind of peg Bitcoins into this sidechain, and then you can move them around using these different properties and then move them back to the main base uh, Bitcoin layer. And so our company was originally founded to kind of pursue this vision, um, but we've kind of expanded and evolved in a bunch of different projects. So Liquid is our main um, our main pro- um, project, which is... a uh, yeah, a side chain that allows kind of faster transactions at, um, uh, but with weaker um, uh, uh, properties in terms of censorship resistance and uh, sovereignty. Um, and then we also uh, we also have a cool a few cool other projects like we uh, we beam uh, uh, Bitcoin's uh, blockchain data down to Earth from satellites. We read bandwidth on them. So instead of uh, if you want to run a Bitcoin node, instead of gobbling up a bunch of your internet bandwidth, you can set up a satellite dish and just uh, you know receive the data for free. And uh, we also do uh, kind of lower level cryptographic research. We're working on a thing called Lightning Network, which is uh, for faster payments on Bitcoin. And uh, yeah, we got a lot of cool stuff going on. Uh, my role is uh, I'm customer support lead. So I do um, I help people use our wallet and uh, do some kind of Marcom stuff and social media things. That's when cool, needed. man. Yeah. yeah, so Blockstream makes Bitcoin 
faster and cheaper. Basically, that's their that's the main service that they offer the space. Yeah, we we basically try to try to provide tools to just make Bitcoin more useful for businesses and users. That's the shorter version. So and so one thing we didn't mention at the beginning of the show, but uh, Bitcoin is at all time highs right now. So it's actually particularly uh, so, something that's that's in the it's in the media a lot r- right now at this moment. And yep. we just we actually we so we just suffered through a two or three year bear market. So there's a lot of there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of new things. There's a lot of things that are that are that are shifting. Um, so it's kind of fun. Um, I'm I think that I think that crypto is one of the weirdest spaces, at least socially that oh, yeah. that, that exists. Um, it's so strange. It's so strange. Like, I, and I think this is actually not so much a factor of cryptocurrency, but uh, a factor of the internet and how you can have these little like subcultures about whatever. And we talk about them a lot on this show, whether it's K-pop or, uh, you know, uh, yeah, or Bitcoin or whatever. You get these, I mean, you get people who are rock stars because they tweet about crypto. It's, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. It's pretty, 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 pretty weird space, and so it's it's a space that that Mario and I both inhabit uh, a lot of the time because we have podcasts in and around it. Um, but yeah, it's. A, I think you said this to me. We were chatting uh, earlier in the week that um, one of the things you like about the, the cryptocurrency space is that it's introduced to you to people with all sorts of these political views you wouldn't otherwise have met, right? Yeah. So so. Um, before I got interested in in crypto, I the, the the way that I found Bitcoin was I I I was introduced to it by the movie Dope. It was a it was a movie about a kid who sells drugs online, a high school kid, and he uses Bitcoin to do it, and that that piqued my my interest. And um, but as I the, as I met people in 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 Bitcoin, I was really turned off because one they they weren't looking at it intellectually they, they weren't everyone was just like thinking that they could get rich from it or they were using it to, to buy buy and sell drugs or whatever but then there was also this like either right-wing or libertarian bent and especially in like you know 2015 2016 that was really prevalent and so it really kept me from getting interested in the space more now and and at that time i'm i you know i come from a very liberal bubble very very progressive person and now, now that I'm, uh, you know, I'm very active in crypto. I've met all these people that have very, very different political views than mine. That ordinarily I wouldn't have even tried to make make friends with, or see eye to eye with, or whatever. But because we do share that common interest, it's nice because it widens my bubble. It makes uh, it makes me more tolerant of other people, and then it it opens channels of communication that actually help me understand the perspective of another person. I mean, most of the time it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not like it, uh, it, I'm, I'm rarely able, I'm it rarely going to be convinced. Still- <laughs> no, but it does make me think like, holy shit, there are a lot of crazy people, <laughs> you know, like, holy shit. Like, you know, when, when Donald Trump was elected, I remember thinking, what, how is that possible? I don't know anybody who voted for Donald Trump. Like, that was my thought in my head. And it's like, oh, sh- you know, actually almost half the country is is like that. 
So I I am kind of grateful to be interested in something where like a lot of my feedback isn't immediately stuff that's from my own echo chamber. I don't know how much, I mean, I'm sure that you get something like that too. Like Mario, you said that when you meet somebody in, in crypto and you know, you, you look at their profile and it says they're vegan, you're like, Oh, I'm going to follow them. Not because you like vegans, just because it's like, we're so used to carnivorous. We're so used to like red, 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 red meat eating assholes. Yeah. That, that, uh, just, yeah, I know. I know what you're talking. Well, the, about. Yeah, the, the carnivore. Yeah, because the carnivore diet is like big in the space. Um, I am. I am one of those. I. I am a carnivore. Well, I'm, I'm not <laughs> proud of it. <laughs> well, you can be proud of being a carnivore, but there's what, a thing. Wait, there's are, a thing. Wait, are Are you a carnivore, Noah, or are you an omnivore? I am an omnivore. He's right, an omnivore. because there are actual carnivores, and this is yeah. quite a big thing in Bitcoin space. They like yeah. deliberately do not eat. Like, it's terrible. Fruit. You know, it's like the fruit is sugary sludge. And, and not like, only that, stay away from it. <laughs> not only that, but like they make it part of their online persona, where it's like I'm going to throw a meat party with all my meat friends, and we're just going to eat red meat and talk about Bitcoin. It's like, oh, yeah. holy when, shit! When I, when I, I once read a, yeah. a science fiction novel about a planet where all the the life forms are made of fungus, and there's um, carnivores, herbivores, and omnivores, and the carnivores view it as their sacred duty to protect the herbivores from the omnivores, and the omnivores are the bad guys and the carnivores eat the omnivores to protect the peaceful peace loving herbivores so what do the carnivores eat they, the omnivores they eat the, the carnivores eat the omnivores see, the omnivores eat herbivores and plants I and see. the herbivores just eat plants and that's well, the ecosystem you have an ecosystem there yeah uh, but there was lots of creepy sex stuff in the book too so I would recommend <laughs> it. well there you go that makes it worth reading yeah I like yeah. to say the only reason I eat vegetables is because I hate them and want them to die Oh, you hate vegetables and you want them to die, right? Yes, that's yeah. why I eat them. Yeah. I, you, when when Noah and I first met, I was like hardcore vegan. Actually, for I was vegan for a long time um, until I kind of came to my senses. Like, and uh, my 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 wife's vegan, so I eat vegan all the time. I actually really like vegan food. I've got no problem with it at all. But I got to the point where I was reading ingredients of everything, and I just couldn't live like that. Like, <laughs> like. Like seriously, like yeah. I just didn't want to have to read ingredients and then say, "Oh, and then there's the other thing of like you, you I, like I'd be traveling, I'd be like in Europe, and we'd be staying with somebody's Italian grandmother that like cooked a giant meal for us, and I'd have to ask, did you put eggs in this? You know, like I just didn't want to be that guy with special needs anymore, um, and that uh, that snapped me. Actually, you know what really snapped me out of veganism? It was. Uh, Noah and I have a mutual friend. It was it was uh, Logan's dad. Oh yeah. yeah. So we had a friend in college. It used to come by and bring bags of of homemade cookies, chocolate chip cookies, amazing chocolate chip cookies. And one time he made them vegan so that I could enjoy them too. And I was like, wow, this is amazing! Like an entire bag of vegan chocolate chip cookies. And these were like homemade, all like fresh, organic ingredients like the most expensive chocolate in the world like really really good the the guy had really good taste and he was a really amazing baker he was an anesthesiologist who took pride in his in his cookie making anyway one time he came back and he had two bags and i said oh did you did you bring any vegan ones and he said yeah half of them are vegan and half of them aren't but i can't tell the difference and they're all mixed up (laughs) (laughs) and i was like 
I fuck, I guess I'm not vegan anymore. Cause, <laughs> because because the fact it was like Schrodinger's cat. It was like the fact that I couldn't tell the difference and some of them might have been meant that I was okay with the possibility of eating a cookie that was non-vegan just so that I could feel good about eating vegan. It just didn't make any sense. And I was like, screw this. Like, why am I doing this to myself? Well, I guess it depends on the reasons you're going vegan. I mean, if, you're, if your goal was, like, reduce, like, you know, animal suffering or whatever, if you've yeah. convinced them that, like, half their cookies now don't, don't have animal <laughs> uh, products, then it kind of works still. But if you're doing it because you're, like, you don't want any animal protein in your body or anything, then, yeah. Right. Then you can yeah. use cookies. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know if I was really thinking it through that much i was definitely not a super like political vegan like i didn't i was not like i didn't run with the PETA crowd and stuff like that it was more <laughs> of like a personal thing for me it was like i didn't want to eat any of that crap that was basically my attitude i was like a don't ask don't tell vegan I'm a, I'm i really... one time accidentally fed you uh cheese in college that's, that's right and i never forgave you you never forgave me <laughs> But, oh, okay. um, you guys talked about that in an earlier episode, didn't you? We did. I was, I was like, hey, I know that story. <laughs> it's, a, it's a famous, very important story. It's um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, very important. It, yeah. it had it had really weird, bizarre ramifications that ended up changing my entire life. Uh, but that's a story for another day. I I think that when it comes to veganism, I think it's it's a you know it's a movement to 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 get people to think about what they're consuming. And, and I, I think that's really cool. I think that militant vegans, when they are judgmental about other people, they have the wrong attitude and they have the wrong, they have the wrong um, perspective. You know, it's like, I think that's, I, I think it's, it's easy to do that. If you are feel, if you are self-righteous and you feel like the way that you're doing, doing things is the right way and everyone else is wrong. But as, as I've discovered in crypto, like, that's not a really good way to change people is to just judge everyone and tell them they're doing things wrong. You're never going to, you're never going to reach anybody that way. You know what I, you know, what I realized though, as you've been saying this, my, the stereotype about vegans being the ones who are like, you know, uh, who are like super militant about it. That has completely disappeared in my mind because all, almost all That's the good. vegans uh, that I meet now are either like, like here on Vancouver Island. like, it's, like half of people are like vegetarian or vegan. So it's just like a normal thing. No one talks about it. No one cares. And I, in the Bitcoin space, people are super quiet about it. It's the carnivores are really loud and in your face. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There's, the, I think that the, the fact that it is so much more common now, I mean, when I was in college, like I, I remember like, like some people didn't even know how to pronounce the word vegan. They were like vegan. Like, like they really, I, I would go, my, my girlfriend at the time would, would take me to Chinese restaurants and then she would have to like go through the entire menu with me. And like the waiter would be like, does he eat shrimp? No. Does he eat uh, lamb? No. Does he eat onions? Does he eat garlic? Like they'd have to basically just go through everything because they didn't understand. And now it's just so much more common. So those people that do have those restrictions on their diet, they're not as much of special needs people. And therefore, and, and, and if they're looking at the rest of the world as doing something wrong, well, there's a lot of people that are doing the exact same thing, so they're not going to be as uptight about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it has become way more common, and that's probably a good thing. Um, I think it's a little weird that now we have all these like processed, non-fake meat foods that are like made to look and smell and taste exactly like meat. Man, that's I'm, that's I'm really strange to, to me. 
I'm excited for the lab-grown meat, though. That's oh like, yeah. Once, once we have that, <laughs> then I can I can eat all the meat I want, guilt-free. And, Me too. Uh, I can you try out like... all these. I can try all these <laughs> endangered species that I couldn't before. It's gonna be. Well, as a vegetarian, am I? Am, is it okay if I eat that too? I guess so. Who cares? It's, There's it's no rules, right? Reasons, yeah, 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 yeah totally. of course. But, but <laughs> Jeff, you, what, you kind of remind me of someone who like had been in an actual war and then sees a video game about war and is like, "Oh my god, I can't believe you're shooting this animated person." Where someone, you know, where, like just grew up point. with just the video game and had never actually seen the. They're just like, "I'm of traumatized. I wouldn't do this for real. This is a game." Duh. I am very traumatized. I, I'm 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 traumatized from for being that special needs person. I look uh, forward to the day when animals are not raised and killed for food. Wouldn't I, that be I'm great? I'm really eager for this day, and I think it's it's not as far off as people think. I just I think am- like. I, I've never, I've uh, kind of always hated the taste of meat. Like I became vegetarian when I was in fourth grade, and like. Uh, to me, the reason I did it is because I didn't want to eat chicken anymore because I thought it was gross. I was like, I got to eat something else for dinner. I just can't stand this stuff. And it just stuck with me. So I don't think I'm going to be eating the lab-grown meat at all. But I am stoked for it to exist. Right. What were you going to say, Mario? I forget. I, I, <laughs> I forget. The, uh, the, it, like, the, the, what we do to animals is pretty terrible. I don't think there's anybody who can watch a video of, of modern agriculture in a slaughterhouse and I say, what oh, I, was gonna say now. I, I can't imagine anybody. Oh, go ahead and say it before you forget. No. Yeah. Cause it's related to this because like, I totally agree with you about like factory farms and like the way the animals are grown in these terrible conditions. I don't really have a problem with people eating meat. If there's like, you know, some cow has been grown, some happy pasture has had a wonderful life. And like at the end of it all, like, you know, he feeds like, I don't know, a family or a village or, you know, but I guess the sad fact is, like, most animals don't. It's, it's not the reality of it. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I was about to say, like, I don't think, I don't, anybody who can, who can know what farm-raised animals go through to die for us to have, like, cheap packaged meat at a grocery store. Like, if you're, if you're really okay with that, like, if deep down you're okay with that, there's, I really think there's probably something wrong with you. Like the fact that you don't mind animals being tortured just so that you can have cheap meat. Um, but I think that most people just ignore it and they just don't, they w- don't want to accept that that's, that's what humans do, that right. we've, we've enslaved animals. I mean, I'll, and then at the same time, there you are get, death slaves. You, you get, you get vegetarians and vegans that are very anti hunting, which to me is like, I don't know if we're going to have people killing animals. Maybe they should be hunters because that's like the most natural way for us to eat meat, right? Is like to actually go track down an animal. And as uh, I, I, I forget where I heard this. I think I was like listening to Joe Rogan or something, but he was, he was saying how like animals do not have pleasant deaths in the wild ever. Like they, oh, either, God, no. they either get sick and then they slow down and then a tiger eats the elk or whatever, or they, or like they get hunted themselves or they get left to die, or they freeze to death, or they burn in a fire. So every animal in the wild has a miserable death. Like being shot with a rifle and dying instantly is, and to be eaten and to feed an entire family for a month, that's not a bad way to go. As that was the that was the argument at least. But um, I don't know. Fascinating stuff here. <laughs> we've come, we've gone from Bitcoin to <laughs> ve- veganism to hunting. <laughs> so, if you guys had the opportunity to eat human meat in an ethical way, would you would you give it a try? 
Such a good question. Noah, what do you think? Uh, only only on one condition, which is that only if I can... What did you say, uh, Noah? No, you, Noah, you muted yourself. Noah, you're muted, so unmute. Sorry about that. Sorry, I, was, right. I accidentally hit the mute. Um, uh, only if I can eat Alex Jones. Which part of Alex Jones would you eat? I think his, his back. I think he has this meaty back. I want to. I, <laughs> really I, I'm just. I'm imagining a slump of meat with all this hair on it. No, I mean you have to. You have to like shave it, and you'll have to like, you know, like dress it in various ways. I'm talking about like. I'm just saying, like Alex Jones, he looks like a like a meaty guy. Hey, they got there's there's gonna be. And, and don't you think that's how Alex Jones would like to go, eaten, literally by a member of the liberal media? Yeah, I, I, I think I, it would validate a lot of his uh, a lot of his claims. I will say that, but yeah, I, I think his contributions <laughs> to society could be higher in caloric count than um what he's doing at the moment. Yeah, it's uh it's a pretty gross gross question. Like I'm talking about your original question of like if 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 you could eat eth- eth- ethical grown human meat or whatever. Well, I mean, like <laughs> just that hard. it's a hard yes for me. It's of course I'd try it. I probably wouldn't have it at breakfast every day, but yeah, I'd want to know. So, so, uh, so cannibals, um, cannibals existed and might still exist in this world, right? There, there might be tribes in in South America that have like rituals where they eat 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 their eat people. I think that's really, really weird, and it's a really hard thing to accept that the human race has had a cannibalism and b human sacrifice. Really, really hard things to accept. But uh, I don't, I don't know if I would try to eat a human. I don't think so. I, I wouldn't I try to eat a human. I don't think so. Only, I mean, only Alex. <laughs> I would, well, I was thinking of this recently because apparently there was some art project where someone, I, I think someone was trying to make a statement about this lab-grown meat thing, where they actually grew lab-grown human meat from stem cells, and um, I, I know it caused some big uh, kerfuffle in the art space, and they got all this hate mail for promoting cannibalism. And, um, anyway, so I've been thinking about that for the last week. Well, it's, I mean, it's an interesting question, if you grow if you grow meat that is genetically human but doesn't come from a human, is it human? Don't I mean, know. yeah, I guess you can find it. I would say yes. But uh, have you have you guys seen the movie Alive? We the, turned, the one about the this started with Bitcoin turned into cannibalism. We we, we became cannibals. <laughs> I was kidding about the Alex Jones thing, listeners. By the way, that was a joke. I am not a cannibal. You heard it here first. No, you heard it here first, people. Noah Smith wants to eat. Alex Jones is back. <laughs> it's it's really like in the world of cryptocurrency, this is not a very weird turn of conversation. I would this say this is this is how all of our episodes end on our on Hack Podcast. This is <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, not, not. <laughs> no. We, I mean, we always talk about some some fairly weird stuff. There's these um these Twitter accounts that are they just basically exist to like bring up edgy ideas like, you know, um, I don't know, like is, is pedophilia really so bad? Is cannibalism really so bad? It's like, that's that. And, and they always I have hate an OnlyFans. Those. They I always have an those. OnlyFans. Yeah. I, I hate I them hate as well. Those. 
It's, yeah, shut it's, up. Uh, they're, they're like basically like instigators or whatever you, I don't even know what you call them. They're not even devil's advocates. They just want to trigger people really for yeah. attention. It, and then it, feels they get, like, it feels like 4chan is leaking when that's happening. And then you can see like, like dirty pictures of them. Uh, I think that actually you get a lot of this. Actually, you get a lot of it in crypto because crypto is often a lot of dissenters and a lot of um, anti-establishment people. So whenever they see a, whenever they come across a popular idea, their instinct is to argue against it or argue for the opposite. Um, and I think it's uh, I think it's actually something that's that's interesting and necessary in a lot of cases. But man, sometimes is it is it offensive and out of place and not necessary. And they might have an OnlyFans. Well, I'm, they glad might have an OnlyFans. I'm glad I haven't run into too many of them. Um, <laughs> There's so. every kind of bad thing you can imagine is on Twitter. But <laughs> being on Twitter gives it a legitimacy that, um, you know, that like basically all of our institutions now, every corporation, every politician, every media org or whatever, every, like it is now basically on an equivalent playing field on Twitter with any schmuck who just wants to troll. Yeah, it's yeah. the great equalization of, of, a, of a platform, which, yeah, it's, it's a grand new experiment the human race is trying. It is. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's pretty, pretty interesting. The whole, like, uh, the, the, what do you call content moderation? What is that? Like a thing that you have to do in, when you have a when you have a social network. Whenever you have a community, you need you need moderation. Uh, Mario and I have been playing around on Clubhouse. We've been going on Clubhouse and talking at least a couple of times. We have we've had conversations mm. on there when met strangers. Um, but one of the things I think that is interesting about Clubhouse is that they they encourage you to use your legal name. So they don't want anonymity. They don't want um, they don't want avatars, which is like the opposite of of Twitter, especially in crypto. Um, and I, I I wondered. I mean, that must have been like they must have thought in order to make this a more legitimate space because people are live. We have to use our we we got to encourage people to use their full names, which isn't going to work exactly because there's lots of public figures that don't use their full legal names, right? Yeah, I mean, they don't seem to be trying to enforce it as far as I can tell, uh, but yeah. Well, they only let you change your name once, and when you change it, they say they want you to use your full name. They say Clubhouse is a place for full names. Well, oh. Facebook, Facebook wants to use your real name, right? And I, I created it with my Facebook account with a fake name back in university, and I remember a few years ago, I was just like, it's just kind of annoying having a fake name on there because then, like, if you want to add someone, I felt like, you know, telling them in advance it's you, it can be right. a pain. And I tried to change it to my real name, and they wouldn't let me do it unless I could, like, prove it was my real name. And I was like, oh, I'm wow. Not I'm, not, I'm not going through this verification process. Fine, we'll keep the yeah. fake name. Um, yeah. yeah, do you guys have any, like, old accounts that you set up thinking that you were funny and now you're just embarrassed that you've got an account named something really weird? Um, I never set up an account, but, um, I had a few friends at university set up an account called Beard Gibbity because I came back from Christmas break um, to university with a, having a, with a beard, which everyone thought was hilarious, um, which I guess is a sign it wasn't a great beard. Um, so they created, they created a Facebook account for the beard specifically. Um, but then also, I uh, when I left university, I got this idea in my head. I was like, I only want like my close friends 
to be friends on Facebook. So I like, unfriended a bunch of people from like the fencing team, which were part of this group. And then there was a period of time where like Beard Gibney was friends with a bunch of people that I wasn't friends with. And it was, yeah, I think it's still out there. I don't, I don't know if they're actually uh, doing anything with it though. Uh, I wonder if the, the Beards, Beards uh, hooking up with your ex-girlfriend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the Beards, the Beards living the life that you, you could have had. Mm. Well, man, yeah. Somewhere Beard been... Gibney is out there. I, well, the thing is, doing the year, things you wish you were doing. I, living I've the had, life you I, want. I've non-ironically had a beard for like five years now, so it's like the joke like is... You are now Beard Gibney. You have joined really with him. Anymore, yeah. know, but, uh, In fact, wait, yeah. maybe the actual Mario Gibney died and was replaced by Beard Gibney, who is now you. This is getting and a bit. Have, how, how would you know? However, how would you know? <laughs> no, you don't even know because the point is that you, as Beard Gibney, which is this alien parasite creature, ate the original Mario Gibney and devoured his memories, and those infused your memory. So you think you've been Mario Gibney all along, when in fact you began as this parasite, alien parasite named Beard Gibney. I like this. I like this. Okay, we let's, got some let's, cannibalism let's just, in there. Let's assume it's, a, <laughs> it's something bad. This is from a George R. R. Martin story, I think. Um, so let's assume this is true. How how should I what should I do with this information? I don't know. Nothing. Just 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 <laughs> chill. Just like understand that it makes you more unique and special. This, this and feels like a, a certain level of enlightenment. You know, realize there there is no true you. You 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 were just a beard. Never uh, has yeah. been. That's right. Yeah. You know, like you the. The, the person that you think is you is just not the same as the person you used to be. You just call it the same person and there's some elements of causality and con lines of continuity between them, but really you're a different person than you used to be and we all, we all are. And that means that when we plan for the future and we try to have a plan for a good life in the future, we're planning for a good life for someone that's not the person we are now. And what that Whoa. means is basically we're all Whoa. of our planning for the future is just pure altruism. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I was just thinking. Like continu continuity, continuity of identity is a really weird thing, isn't it? Mm. It's like, what, what do you think of cryonics, Noah? Cryonics you mean freezing people? Yeah. Like, you know, the Hal Finney route, you know? Mm, I mean, cool. You know, freeze yourself. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I don't I, know under, I don't know anything about the technology or whether, like whether it works or what it does. Hmm. I think I think about it a lot. I, I I've considered time enough for it. I uh You want to travel to the future? Oh god, yeah. It I'm sounds sure pretty I want fun. To travel to the future. You, you Except at the normal pace. Well, no, no. Yeah. I, I mean I'm not gonna do it tomorrow, but I mean if I were to like get a terminally ill disease, I think I would probably sign up for it. Oh yeah, no, that that's right. Like if, yeah. if maybe they'll have a cure in the future or something like that. Yeah. Uh, or you could just I mean like all the people who frozen themselves till now, they they died. They just killed themselves. Uh, right? Oh yeah, that's the thing. I mean, like unless they were know, frozen after death, in which case. Well, sometimes yeah. I talk to people who are like, "Oh, I think it's unlikely to work," and I'm like, "Yeah, but it's you know, you're going from guaranteed death to probable death, which seems like a significant step forward." So, so wait, did Hal Finney actually freeze himself? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, so um, he might still be alive. We don't really know. Or, yeah, he's kind of Schrodinger's Hal. I mean, he and um, and, and did, what you, so did he have? Like, I don't know the story. Did he have a terminally ill disease? Yeah. So, uh, do you know who Hal Finney was, Noah Smith? Uh, I don't Hal know why Finney. I said your last name. Uh, that was really formal. And weird. Oh no, that that's fine. <laughs> it's, uh, 
I don't um, even really know who Alfini is, besides that he's a Bitcoin-related person. Okay, Not so really, I know the name, but yeah. So he was a mathematician and cryptographer, and was one of the early kind of guys who um, who um, uh, you know was on these kind of mailing lists in the '90s and 2000s, and before the build-up to Bitcoin, and was really interested in privacy tech and um, kind of using technology to enhance individual freedom. And, and he was the first ever recipient of a Bitcoin transaction. So he was one of the first people who ran Bitcoin along with uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, and a lot of people think he may actually be Satoshi. Uh, we don't know. Wow. But um, he got ALS, uh, which is the same condition oh, that Stephen Hawking had. So yeah. um, uh, Stephen Hawking was an unusual case because he lived like decades longer than someone normally does. But basically, your muscles gradually stop functioning over the course of a few years. And uh, he had it written in his like he, like will, or I guess he's just like told his wife before that um, once he can no longer move anything, uh, he would like to be uh, chronically frozen. And uh, and like even like when he could only blink, he was still writing code um, to contribute to the Bitcoin project um, through like by communicating through I think it was like Morse code or something by blinking, um, uh, like right up till he could no longer move oh, his God. eyes. And then he got himself. Uh, he's been chronically frozen. And um, interestingly, like you can technically store Bitcoin through time by remembering a series of words called a mnemonic. Uh, they call this a brain wallet which isn't a very secure way of storing things, but it will allow you to access certain funds with the right software. Um, and so there is speculation that he may have possessed a large amount of Bitcoin that wasn't worth much at the time, but he may have remembered in a brain wallet, which actually will probably put an extremely high bounty on people trying to develop technology to get him, you know, unfrozen. Hmm. Um, so, yeah. That's interesting. interesting stuff. Yeah. It's a w weird puzzle. So like somebody, so if, but right, right now, like who is in the custody of, like who's taking care of his frozen body? Uh, it's a company called Alcor, um, which is, it seems to be the company that uh, does cryonics for people. Um, and like, basically you're going to, you pay them like millions, right? And then they. No, 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 no. It's quite affordable. It's like 30 grand or something. Um, but, but then or, they, they will carry you into the future and they will even thaw you at some point. Yes. Well, I mean, presumably if they get to the point where they feel confident that they can thaw you without killing you. Um, but yeah, so I, I believe you, you remain frozen in like liquid nitrogen or something like that. Um, and they've got like, I don't know, they pump your blood full of like antifreeze or something. I don't know. Um, to make sure that like you're, you know, the, the, the water in your body doesn't, uh, you know, expand and freezes. I, I'm not exactly sure the technology works, but yeah, I think uh, the way most people do it is you sign up for it, you take out a life insurance policy that will pay out to them if you do die, mm. and then um, that doesn't cover the cost. Uh, I know a few people who have signed up for it, um, but uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's one of those black mirror things where it's like, uh, if you do that, you kind of have to put yourself into the care of either a business or another person, like a loved mm -hmm. one who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna make sure that you get thawed at the right time or something like that. And right, all right. these contingencies for if that person dies and um, kind of a weird, weird thing to think about and to think about doing voluntarily. But yeah, huh. I wonder how much health in he's going to be worth when he gets thawed. <laughs> I, I I think it's unlikely he ever <laughs> gets successfully thought, but uh, you never know. You well, never he know. might get he might get thought. He just might be dead. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I uh, I have this um, sort of friend, uh, Laura Deming. Do you know her, Mario? Who? Laura, Laura Deming. Deming. No. Oh, she's a she's like a VC um, ish uh, person. She invests 
in um, anti-aging. And from just mm-hmm. a very young age, she decided to make herself uh, an expert in anti-aging technology. Um, and so she's really interested in that stuff. They're studying like stuff like, you know, Let's get her on the show. Let's get her on the show. Yeah, let's, we can get her on the show. Yeah, that'd be and great. So, um, probably. Uh, I always randomly bump into her around San Francisco, weirdly. Uh, anyway, so, um, back, but, but the point is that I, I told her the kind of anti-aging thing that I want is not something that anyone seems to be working on. Or if they are working on it, they're not working on it explicitly or it's you know, just buried at some university lab somewhere and i just don't realize that's what it could do uh, so i'd have to do an incredibly thorough deep search for it um but that's basically that i think that old older people the older you get the less intensely and pleasurably you experience life itself i think that basically whatever uh you know your your pleasure reward motivation centers just just mm. decays you get older and i think that this makes the experience of being brain old very um different from being brain young no matter what happens to your body so i think that if you could restore this like like i think people think it's all in the body and people think that if you could restore an 18 year old body to a 55 year old person it would be like they're 18 again but i think there's stuff in the brain that like in the you know pleasure centers and i've read a bunch of neuro papers about how you know like the um the the uh, uh dopaminergic neurons in the nucleus accumbens undergo apoptosis and they kill themselves and blah 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 and so, but we don't, I don't think we completely understand the, um, uh, the, um, mechanism of these things. Mm-hmm. And so I think we, I want technology to make people young in the brain. And of course, people are working on yeah. neuroplasticity. They're working on things like, um, being able to learn like a young person. So you can become a native speaker in like foreign languages at any age or so that you can, just learn stuff really rapidly. That's going to be really wild. But what I want is I want the sensation of being young. You just look at kids and you see them running around yelling and laughing and just like life is just so intense. And I, what age would I aim for, for intenseness? Hmm. Well, I think 22 because of a flaming lip song called (laughs) when you're 22. (laughs) Uh, Pardon? Oh, is there, is there a song is, about being 22? I think they're all about being 22. I think they are. I think 22 <laughs> is when you graduate college. So. I, um, I, yeah, I think I'd want to be in my 30s, to be honest. But uh, eh. Oh, why does the brain age? I mean, because just it's a different organ. Like, obviously, the, the, the processes that affect your neuronal development are, are known to be very different than the processes that affect your cartilage. Even your body doesn't age the same as your body. Like, your, your cartilage ages different than your heart. And your heart ages... Mm different than your skin like every piece of the body ages differently and the brain must be uh yes exactly right that's right maybe maybe i that's a that's a, a that's a big leap Oh man. Yeah, that's right. So like, it's like there's people who are like, oh, it's all telomeres, right? It's all just it's all just your telomeres. But then like every single time in biology that we think it's like just this one thing, it turns out that there's a whole lot of other 
parallel oh, things man. going on. So many things. Like I, I just imagine, even if you took care of all those like underlining physical and and uh, you know physiological uh, issues that 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 you know that happen when you age, you'd end up with a a like physically physiologically young person that's just seen so much shit. <laughs> like you're just like trauma- traumatized by life. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's the, that's it. You don't right. forget stuff. And there's yeah. also the question of like, what is if you're just if you're going to change your whole mind, why yeah, just, why live forever? You 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 just didn't you just kill yourself? Yeah. If you just if you just erased your memories and just like changed your personality with a device. Yes, exactly. Well, this is very Black Mirror. There's even a Black Mirror episode on like an afterlife being the the age that you were, that you like right. the the t- the two old ladies that like you know basically met in their afterlife and it was the 1980s that like they all they did was what go to clubs all the time and they fell in love. Um, yeah, right. Totally. It was uh, San Junipero, the best hour of TV ever made. It was amazing. It yeah, was so, so go watch that. Have you seen San Junipero? This, that the you, one with you would the, remember the two the two women in the eighties. It's uh, it's it's the it's like like you watch all these Black Mirror uh, episodes and you just think like, oh my god, this is the most terrorizing future in the world. And you see this one and you think, oh, this is just so lovely. Like, I, I lo- love this. It yeah. justifies <laughs> the entire rest of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have not. I should check it out. Hmm. Love death and robots. Well, we should probably wrap up this conversation because otherwise we're going to get into, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Which is a great conversation, but uh, maybe for another show because we can go on for hours. But um, Mario, thanks for joining us. It was a lot of fun and maybe we'll have to do this again sometime. Uh, totally. All right. Come on yeah. anytime no, you guys bro. want. This is fun. We're we got fans. We, I mean, there's a lot more. There's a lot more questions about crypto. So um, I think we didn't. Even, we didn't even talk about drugs. We didn't talk about drugs, and that's no. But you know what? In. I'll I'll bring it back to the the. I'll I'll bring it all back. Um, cannibalism. What we really want the cannibalism. <laughs> what we really want is to, to eat Alex Jones. What we really want in life is just to be able to never get desensitized to Molly and just to keep doing Molly forever. Oh, man. Molly. Amazing. Forever. Is Molly the same thing as MDMA? Because that's... The, it, it I, is. That is what it is. Yeah. What, what, at what point, what point did it change names? Because I remember it being called Ecstasy. Uh, yeah. when, when young people needed to feel original and like they were doing something different than what we did. Man, we, we were doing it first. Oh my God, I feel so old. I feel so old. <laughs> we were doing it first. We were doing we Molly before drugs. it was called Molly. You it kids was called don't ecstasy. even know. <laughs> hey, you guys, you guys want to feel old? Yeah. I did Molly for the first time two years ago. Was it Molly or ecstasy? Wait, you want to you feel old, Mario? Uh, no. Oh, okay, never mind. Yes, go ahead. Let's, Let's hear do it. it. Let's I hear have it. Never, I have not done Molly yet. Really? Yeah. Oh. I feel like I feel like that's not an age thing. It's not um. really. It's it's really one of the stupidest drugs you can do, actually. No, so. I'm, yeah, I'm, I I have clinical depression, so I'm I'm a little weird. Oh, we should definitely talk about this in a future episode. Yeah. I um I because I am big into the whole 
psychedelic psychotherapy That's, movement at the moment. So the most positive response to somebody <laughs> saying they have clinical depression. That's that was. It's like ooh, <laughs> you're fun. <laughs> well, okay, sorry. Okay, let me let me clarify. Like, I, I have also struggled quite a bit with um, depression throughout my twenties, oh, and I got involved in the psychedelic scene in the last two or three years, and mm. it's been very, very helpful to me in that department. So oh, we'll that's talk why. About that. That's why. That's yeah. why I was excited to talk about it. Not that I'm excited. Maybe, you, maybe we'll talk depression. about it not on a podcast where we can't incriminate ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, some of those sure. things aren't. I, I, I've talked about it in podcasts before, and but uh, that's right. that's totally cool. Yeah, yeah. Let's make this I, clear. Yeah. We've we've never done any drugs. We've never done any. Mo- we've nope. never used nope. any cryptocurrencies for any anything. Banks. Yeah. I, I I am fortunate enough to have traveled to certain jurisdictions around the world where you're allowed to enjoy um, uh, these things in the legal we, setting. We can also talk about way. when when mushrooms were legal in Japan, and you could buy them in the stores and do them on the street oh, you know you man. could do that in ireland until like 15 years ago or something same like in that. japan yeah no idea yeah you you could do that at stanford and the, the cops just wouldn't care because because it was stanford <laughs> it was great uh, all right everybody thank you so much have a good night and check us out next week or whenever our next show is all right now if you guys don't mind